This week on the Virtual Bible Study, we want to talk about the Restoration Plea. Yeah, we got a question from a regular listener about the Restoration Movement, and his simple question was, what is it, and what can we learn about things by considering the Restoration Movement? Uh, a regular listener sent that in. I think he knows the answer, but imagined, I think, that it would be a worthy conversation for us to engage in. So we're going to talk about that on our program tonight. The, what is the Restoration Movement, and and what all do we learn, and what is implied by the idea of a restoration movement? All right. If you don't know the answer, if you're interested in what our answer is, uh, stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study starts right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday september 14th 2017 my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dan jacob great to be with you tonight good to be with you as well monty's behind the controls monty it's been a while since you sat in that seat I hope you're doing it right. Uh, maybe I am. Everything's different since the last time I was here. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Looks like, we're getting, looks like we're getting the message out there. We're glad that you're here as well. And uh, the phone number for you to dial in is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. And the chat rooms, wherever you may be watching, are up and ready for your comments where we can monitor those and include them in the discussion tonight. Before we get started... There's some new choices for bumper stickers. Yeah, we've got bumper stickers. We've got Actually, right now, we've got three different kinds of bumper stickers. You can have one of each if you want. Send us a, uh, your snail mail address to our email address. Questions at collegeview.com say, send me one or more uh, bumper stickers. We've got two rectangular ones and one oval one. So let us know what and you want. They're free. Just need your snail mail address. And uh, all we ask is that you use them to help get the word out. You can put them on your bumper, put them on your back window. Put them on your uh, Yeti at your desk at work. Tumblr. So, several listeners yeah. have said they put it on a Yeti Tumblr and getting some comments at work. Anyway, you can get the message out for us. We really appreciate it, that because this program is better when other folks are here and uh, can help with the discussion. So help us get the word out. We got uh, in the chat room. We got uh, a listener in Colorado, Durango, Colorado. Hey to you folks out there. A listener in Mount Pleasant and uh, Philip. Uh, in West Virginia, who sent in the question we want to discuss tonight. He's in the chat room. We've got a listener in Cullioca, Tennessee. And uh, so uh, get in there, get in the chat room, and, and maybe send us a note. Where are you listening from? All right, yes, we'd want to hear from you. And uh, maybe you found us because you saw somebody's bumper sticker. You might just mention that if you're listening because you saw it in traffic somewhere. Wherever you are, if you're listening, uh, why not just send us an email, let us know you're there. Questions at collegeview.com. Okay, right. let me let me read this full question from Philip in West Virginia. What is the Restoration Movement? What lessons can we learn from the Restoration Movement? Did men such as Alexander Campbell, Barton W. Stone, Elias Smith, and so forth start the Church of Christ? Okay. So that's the question we want to deal with, and we do really think it's an important one. A lot of times people are... Uh, 
associate the Church of Christ in particular with Alexander Campbell, although there were another uh, a number of other notable men like Philip mentions in his email. But you will hear people sometimes even refer to the Church of Christ as Campbellites, mm-hmm. followers of Alexander Campbell. And the implication is that Alexander Campbell started a new religious movement uh, and that we are followers of him in particular. We deny that. Uh, we, we, we express no personal allegiance to Alexander Campbell whatsoever. But Alexander Campbell and a number of other men, uh, Philip mentions in his email, Barton W. Stone, he was a, he was a big player in this movement. And there were others. A number of men said, you know, the abuses of the Catholic Church and the, and, and the, and the perversions of the main denominations are so bad, we just need to abandon that and go all the way back to the New Testament and just try to make the church like it was under the guidance of the inspired apostles and prophets. Just go all the way back to the Bible. Do do Bible things in Bible ways. And, um, you know, that that was a, a right kind of thinking. Uh, I've got some quotes here that, that sort of describe what those guys were thinking about. Now, this restoration plea, we, we suggested in our email update today that we were going to talk about the restoration plea. And that that has been expressed. That's just something that men have put together, sort of a, a slogan or a saying, something to sort of motivate people. And it goes something like this, although it could be worded slightly different. Let us speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. Let us call Bible things by Bible names and do Bible things in Bible ways. Let us restore the church as it was in the days of the apostles. Now, that's the way that this restoration plea has been expressed. I, I don't know of any single individual who was ever credited with with pinning or saying those exact words. But that was the concept. Okay. You know, we... We see value in restoring old things. Jacob, one time you and I restored an old car. We did. And what we did, we took a car and we tore it all down and we tried to build it back just like it was when it was brand new. Right. Because we th- we see value in restoring old things. Now, I to tell you the truth, that old car that we did, even when we got it built back and, and we liked it, but it wasn't as nice as a, as a new car. New modern cars are way better. Right. But in regards to restoring the church, it was perfect when it first started. It was perfect under the guidance of the inspired apostles. And so in restoring it, we're not just restoring something, but newer things would be better. We're restoring something that was perfect at its inception. We need to get back to that perfection. All right, that gets to a question that you asked, uh, uh, the second question you asked under the, the update list about God's plan for the church. Um, that's a, I guess that's a maybe a presupposition that we need to establish that the church in the first century was the ideal and the and yeah. the model and the standard. Yeah, let's talk and, about and that. We'll talk I, think about that's, that. I think that's really important. Let okay. me read you a few more quotes from these early. Now, the reason it's called a restoration movement, there had been an earlier reformation movement, reform, right. reformation. Right. And this was led by a number of well-known denominational fellows like Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther pinned his 95 thesis and nailed it to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Calvin, um, uh, the Wesley brothers and others, they saw a lot of perversion in right. the Catholic church. And they said, we need to reform the church. 
And so they led a Reformation movement, which, I mean, some of their thinking was certainly appropriate. The Catholic Church had gotten way out of bounds. Right. But they didn't really come far enough. They, they, they corrected some of the problems that existed in Catholicism, but they didn't, they didn't come far enough. And they, there was, there's still a lot about those denominations that are different from what we read about the church in the New Testament. So yeah. long, in the mid, uh, 19th century, in the middle 1800s, some men here in America, and there was also a similar movement in Europe and in England. There, there was, they said, no, Reformation's not enough. We need a restoration. We don't need to reform the church as it is. We need to restore the church as it was back in the first century. And so, um, men like Thomas Campbell, Thomas Campbell was actually the father of Alexander Campbell. He was born in Ireland in the 1700s. He was a Presbyterian minister. He came to America uh, in the early 1800s, and he 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 had these thoughts in his mind, and no doubt instilled them in his son Alexander. But Thomas Campbell said, "Where the scriptures speak, we speak, and where the scriptures are silent, we are silent." Somebody who heard him preach that said, "Mr. Campbell, if we adopt that as a basis, then there there will be an end of infant baptism." And Thomas Campbell responded, of course, if infant baptism be not found in the scripture, we can have nothing to do with it. Yeah. And so that was the mindset. It was, and it was a right thinking. That was a, that was a right idea to have. We just need to get rid of all these things that are not in the Bible. This Thomas Campbell also wrote in Declaration and Address. He, he penned this in 1809. He said, pull original form of Christianity expressly exhibited upon the sacred page without attempting to inculcate anything of human authority, of private opinion, or inventions of men as having any place in the constitution, faith, or worship of the Christian church, or anything as a matter of Christian faith or duty for which there cannot be expressly produced a thus saith the Lord, either in expressed terms or by approved precedent. He goes on to say, no human authority has power to interfere by making laws for the church, nor can anything more be required of Christians in such cases, but only that they observe these commands and ordinances, much less has any human authority power to impose new commands or ordinances upon the church, which our Lord Jesus Christ has not enjoined. Nothing ought to be received into the faith or worship of the church that is not as old as the New Testament. Wow. And so those are those are right thoughts, and and I really don't know how anybody could argue with that with that thinking. The only way you could argue with that would be to say, and we'll talk about this: the church was expected to evolve over time. It, it it was it was something at its beginning, but it wasn't everything God wanted it to be, and therefore it needed to evolve over time. And so certainly it's changed, but that was. That was intended by God. We'll we'll study that concept. We don't think that's true. And we think men like Thomas Campbell had it right. Uh, go ahead. In the chat room, Philip also makes another uh, presents another aspect of this. The restoration started by a plea for unity, a unity based on what the scriptures teach, which lead to the principle you stated a little bit ago, speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible is silent. First Peter chapter 4, verse 11 as a reference uh, to that concept. Um and that that is true. The idea that we can all be unified if we'll all go back to that original pattern. Yeah, and and really, those, those restorers 
understood properly that the only basis for unity would be if we go back to the Bible. Because if we take anything other than the Bible, if you're allowed to do something or change something right. extra biblically, then I can change what I want. You change what you want. I change why we just keep changing. And then we get farther and farther apart because we're following our human opinions rather than the expressed will of God. And that is the what we see in the religious world today is what they saw in the religious world then is that if we're doing what we think and what our preference is, then we'll never be unified. Uh, and so uh, thank you for calling that out, uh, Philip. Let me read you a couple more quotes. A uh, hundred years after Tom, Thomas Campbell, more than a hundred years after Thomas Campbell penned his declaration address, N.B. Hardeman conducted a, a, a religious meeting in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, at mm-hmm. the Ryman Auditorium. And some of our listeners may know the name Ryman Auditorium, famous for the Grand Old Opry. But actually, the Ryman Auditorium in downtown Nashville was originally constructed to hold religious meetings. Uh, even today, sometimes you hear the, the, the country music people refer to the Ryman Auditorium as the mother church of country music. And that may be because it was originally intended for church services. That's what that auditorium yeah. was for. Uh, he held a number of meetings in 19... Uh, he started having them. He, had, he held these uh, religious rallies in the Ryman Auditorium. For 20 years, starting in 1922, uh, it, it got a lot of attention. Local and national news outlets covered N.B. Hardeman's tabernacle. He called them his tabernacle sermons. Uh, thousands of people attended. A lot, uh, the, the Ryman was at stand, standing room only capacity, and, and thousands more were turned away. It was a very popular movement of its time. Uh, some will recognize the name N.B. Hardeman. He was later president of Freed Hardeman University. Now it's called Freed Hardeman University in, in Henderson, Tennessee. But again, Har- uh, Hardeman had this concept in mind. He said, I would God tonight that all professed followers in the city of Nashville, Tennessee, and elsewhere would be content to have but the Bible as their creed, their discipline, their church manual, their church directory, their rule of faith and practice throughout life. And he went on to say, I pledge my word and promise myself tonight, if the man will thus show me that God's book does not plainly demand it, I will gladly surrender and give that up. Take your stand on God's book and eliminate all things that are not plainly taught therein. And when you so do, I will gladly come to you and take my stand with you. Now, again, uh, we, we think that men like Thomas Campbell, Alexander Campbell, Barton W. Stone, all those early restorers and later ones like N.B. Hardeman, we believe that they had a concept there that was right. We we have no personal loyalty or allegiance to these men. We just happen to appreciate the concept that they taught and believe it was a right one. We're not following them. We're trying to follow the Bible. But they had that idea, too. Let's just go back to the Bible. You know, it'd be similar to, you know, maybe uh, we witnessed you uh, using some foul language. And Monty came to you and said, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't use foul language. And you said, oh, well, I won't do that anymore. Are you now a Monteite? Are you following Monty? Are you just following the scriptures? Monty helped you understand the scriptures, but you're just following the scriptures. Now, if you were following a rule that Monty made up, then you'd be a Monteite. You'd be a disciple of Monty. But otherwise, you're just following the scriptures. And that's what we believe we're doing here is this was what they they were encouraging people to do, but it's the principles that they were teaching are established by the scriptures. And so we're not following them. We're following the scriptures. Exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. 
Uh, let's grab a break. When we come back, let's start talking about some of this idea. Was the church what God wanted it to be from the beginning? And, and, and is it right to want to go back and restore it? All right, we're going to get a break, and we'll take your thoughts. Uh, send them in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Are worship pleasing to God or pleasing to man? And instrumental music in worship? That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do. Attitude determines how well you do it. Do not believe a false religion just because it has a little truth mixed in. A clock that has not run in years indicates the correct time twice a day. Life is most wisely spent when spent on something that will outlast it. It's hard to stumble when you're down on your knees. Repentance is never too soon, but it may be too late. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Back on the program tonight, and uh, we're talking about the restoration plea and getting a little bit of a history behind that movement that we believe just brought people back to what the Bible had been saying for thousands of years. Yeah. You know, uh, it might be uh, interesting to uh, tell our listeners about a program we had, wow, three and a half years ago. Uh, If you look in our archives, uh, you'll find on December 27th, 2014, we interviewed a gentleman named Keith Sisman in Cambridge, England. It's actually March 27th, Oh, what was it, March? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, I wrote that down wrong. March 20. I thought that sounded like a funny date. March 27th, 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look in the archives for that. We interviewed a fellow named Keith Sisman. He was a Christian in Cambridge, England, who had done a lot of research about the church that he found in England. Uh, and relative to this claim that, Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ. Uh, he was able to demonstrate with conclusive evidence that that churches of Christ existed way before Alexander Campbell. Now, remember, we're saying Alexander Campbell was doing his work in America in the mid-1800s. Keith Sisman said that he could trace churches of Christ, people just following the New Testament pattern, 
just just trying to do what the New Testament teaches. He could trace that in England as far back as he could find historical records, hundreds, hundreds of years before Alexander Campbell or any of those men that we mentioned earlier ever were born. There were Christians following this approach. And he said, basically, as far back as you can find history, you find this concept. Alexander Campbell wasn't the first to come up with it. His father, Thomas Campbell, wasn't the first to come up with it. People had been doing it. They got some publicity. They got some notoriety. But they weren't the first people to ever think about doing that. In fact, I would, I, I, I have confidence, although I couldn't prove it. I have confidence there's always been people who say, just, just do what the Bible says. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah if, I, I think that Keith Sisman, by the way, I think I heard that he had passed away since we interviewed him three and a half years ago. But that's a really interesting program if you care to go back and archive. Right. And, and some of this has the tendency to sound denomination. We're not saying that the Church of Christ is a denomination that could be started. We're saying he found evidence of people who were just following the Bible. Just Christians. And just they were using names. A church like you read about in the Bible. They were using names like the names describing the church in the Bible, and one of those being Church of Christ. They were using that name. But that's the idea, is that you just go back and you do what the Scriptures teach, and you're not part of a denomination. You're not following any kind of creed. You're following what the Scriptures teach. Yeah. And so we want to make it clear, if we don't get any other point across in our discussion tonight, we want to make it clear that we are not personal followers of men like Alexander Campbell. We're 200 years plus removed from from the work that they started in America, an an effort, a movement, a restoration movement. Uh, But we're just trying to do what they were trying to do, and that is to restore the church to its New Testament roots, do Bible things in Bible ways, speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible's silent, because we think that's valuable and right. And it goes to this question was the church what god wanted to be at the very inception and you know you talk about being students of them i think this probably this program probably contains the most quotes by thomas campbell that any other program has ever had uh, I don't you're know not, that we've ever quoted not, thomas you're not campbell studying before. and referencing thomas campbell to determine what you believe in practice we're studying the bible and we're looking to what the Bible says, and it doesn't matter what they said about it. We're just showing that they had a mindset that we think was was the right one. Yeah. But but it's but our allegiance is absolutely not to them. And I'm sure a lot of the I'm I'm sure a lot of people who may be members of Churches of Christ who are listening maybe never heard of it, Thomas Campbell before. Yeah. Maybe never heard of Alexander Campbell before because we don't talk about those guys. We yeah. we are not disciples of the Campbells. We are not Campbellites. We don't follow the Campbells. Okay, so we go to the scriptures to determine what we believe, what we practice, as as that quote from N.B. Hardiman said so aptly there, that uh, we're just going to use it as our rule of law. Yeah. All right. All right, so let's. Let, we asked the question, did God have a specific plan for the church, or was it his idea to let the church evolve over time? So that's the sole premise, is that we need to restore the original church, that that's the ideal, that that's what God intended, Um and that, and that's what needs to be restored. Um, you know, there's lots of things uh, that we wouldn't want to restore today. For instance, we wouldn't want to restore 18th century medical practices, for instance, yeah. or, or dentistry. Maybe you know, <laughs> oh, we're not to leave that alone. That needs to stay where it is. Money's holding the whole yeah. onto his false teeth. Yeah. There. Uh, there, there's certain things you don't want to restore because they've gotten better over time. Yeah. Is the church like that? Oh, the, well, the church. Well, like, like I said, you know, when you and I restored that that old car. We got it back pretty close to the way it was when it was first made. Yeah. And it, we liked it. it. And it was it was a, a valuable experience. But that car 
was not near as nice as a new car that you can get today. Oh, no, any uh, Not even close. Yeah, no, no. Uh, it didn't, that car didn't even have air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I want air conditioning right. in my car now. Yeah. So, uh, so we're saying restoring some old things gets them back to the original, but the original wasn't near as good as something that's evolved. Right. Like a car has evolved. But we believe that the church was what God wanted from the beginning. Uh, he had a plan. He had a purpose. Uh, God's always operated that way. I, I was thinking of some examples. For instance, with Noah. When Noah, when God told Noah to build the ark in Genesis chapter 6, he was very specific about the specifications. He said, this is the fashion which, this is Genesis 6 beginning verse 15, this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower second, third story shalt thou make it. You know, when we talk about that, I think everybody agrees God had that plan for that ark. And when he told Noah to make it, he expected Noah to make it just like he said. And Noah would have been completely wrong to say, well, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to make it a little shorter, a little yep. taller. Or, you know, yeah. I'm going to have four stories instead of three. Or I'm going to make it out of some kind of wood other than gopher wood like God specified. Everybody said, no, 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 no. Noah had to do it just like God said. Yeah. That's the way God has always operated with mankind. When he tells people what he wants, he expects them to do it that way. Now, and there's got to be something in that for us as well. So God wanted Noah to build this ark. Why did he go to the trouble of recording that in the scriptures? Think how many times those instructions have been copied over and over again to people who have no intention of ever building an ark. Why go into that detail of the dimensions, the material, the the type, the uh, you know, the organization of the door and the window? Why do that? Why record that if there's not something there that God wants us to learn? Yeah, and and I think He does want us to learn. When He specifies what He wants, then it's it's ideal. And He's and, and, and down do to it, the detail, not just it. to the general concept. Hey, I yeah. want you to have an ark. Hey, I want you to have a church. No, there's specific things that He wanted in that ark. Well, there's specific things he wants in the church. Yeah, another example of that is when God told Moses on Mount Sinai how to construct the tabernacle, the mm-hmm. place of worship for the children of Israel. Exodus 25, verse 8, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee. After the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shalt thou make it. Yeah. Now, the Hebrew writer referenced that in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, when he said, when God was about to, uh, Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, see, saith thou, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. And, you know, when you go back there and read the details of that tabernacle, quite intricate, the details of how tabernacle for worship. And again, I think everybody would agree, Moses had no leeway in that. When God told him what he wanted and gave him all the details, it had to be done just like God said. And that section is very, very detailed. It goes on and on. I mean, it's a it's a good cure for insomnia sometimes. Yeah. You read some of that stuff. Yeah. But why, again, would God record that for people who are not going to be building a tabernacle? Yeah. Well, there's a reason why, and as you reference in Hebrews chapter 8, God references the principle that he has a pattern and he expects people to be following it. 
And that's used in connection with Christ and his ability to be our, our high priest today. There is an expectation by God, Monty, that when he tells you to, something to do and gives lays out a pattern, then you better submit to that pattern. You know, if we mention Moses, repeatedly God told him, be careful to follow the pattern and construct all the stuff, whether it was the Ark of the Covenant, the Explicitly Tabernacle, says it, yeah. all of them things. He, over and over he tells him, be careful to follow that pattern that I showed you on the mountain. So he showed him on the mountain what he wanted done, gave him instructions, he wrote it down, and then he expected him to exactly follow it. Then when we see later when David wanted to build a temple for God, and God wouldn't allow him, but he said he'd let Solomon do it, David got all the materials together and made great preparations to do it, and he warned Solomon, do it exactly according to the plan that God revealed to me. And so over and over throughout time, God has told his people what he wanted to do, and we learn from that that he expects us to exactly follow the plans that he's given us. And and I think you're right, Monty. I think the question would be, why would it be different now? Uh, When we have these explicit examples of God expecting close adherence to the detailed plan that he set forth. So he had a plan for the ark. Yep. Noah had to follow the plan. He had a plan for the tabernacle. Moses had to follow the tabernacle plan. What about the church? Well, I want to read to you a, a prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 2, beginning verse 2. Now, remember, Isaiah was 700 years before Christ. Mm-hmm. 700 years before Christ, Isaiah prophesied about something. He said, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. He's talking about the church. Yep. He's talking about the church. He's describing the church. Uh, and many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And notice, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, when you read that, it's clear. Isaiah is uh, prophesying that God had a plan in mind. And and 700 years before Christ came and established his kingdom, it's, it's, it's obvious that God had a plan for that. And now the question I would ask is, well, if God had a plan, you think it would be a good plan? Or do you think it would be something you could improve on? God have a good plan? Should we follow his plan? Or, or should we take it upon ourselves to try and improve upon the plan? That God had. Mm-hmm. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Why no. would God? Why would God have a plan? But it's really not a perfect plan. It's not a good plan. It's, not, it's actually a plan that could be improved upon a lot. Yeah. That doesn't. That doesn't jive with what we understand about God. He wouldn't have a plan, but it'd be an imperfect plan. God's plan would be perfect and should be followed. All right. Uh, Money. You know, when Paul was talking to Timothy, he told him, you find faithful men and teach them what I taught you and teach them to go out and teach those same things. So Paul demonstrates that God had a plan, that he taught it to Timothy. He expected Timothy to teach that same plan and teach those people to teach that same plan and pass it down. We don't get the impression that he meant for it to evolve, to evolve but that he meant for it to be the same plan passed down throughout history. Exactly right. Uh, in the chat room, Josh says, if we expect our house builders to follow the plans, we should be willing to follow God's plans for how we structure our lives. I think that's a good point. If I was, if I was going to have a, Monty is, is, is going to get involved in having a house built and he's going to, Monty, you're going to expect the guy to build it according to your plan. In other words, you're not going to just, he's not going to have leeway to just 
change this, change that, add this, subtract that. You're going to expect him to build it like you tell him to build it, right? Well, if he's not building it to the plan, then he's not building my house. He's building his house or somebody else's house. My house is going to be built to this. I want it to be built to a specific set of plans, so it'll be what I want. Yeah. All right. Why don't we take a break? When we get back, we'll get your thoughts. Did God expect the church to evolve over time? Did he sort of set it in motion, let it go its course, and we're free to change it as we wish? And if so, then how much could you change it? And what does the Bible say about God's expectation that we follow his plan for the church? Let us know your thoughts. We'll get your th- them on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible studies back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Occasionally, especially when discussing politics, we'll hear someone described as a pragmatist. What this means is that this fellow's main operating rule is to do whatever it takes. His standard for judging whether a thing is good or not is simply, does it work? All that matters to him is getting the desired result. It doesn't matter how he gets it. If he gets reelected, if his campaign contributions keep rolling in, then everything is good. Never mind that promises have been broken questionable tactics employed, even laws violated. The pragmatist isn't concerned with such details and technicalities. There is clearly a growing trend toward pragmatism in religion. It is that philosophy which says the end justifies the means. All around us we see signs of it. Many denominations have been following this approach for decades. Now even among churches of Christ we see it. Some of our brethren have become completely consumed in the quest for results. We all want to see the church grow. We long to see lost souls converted. How can we achieve these goals? The pragmatist says, do whatever it takes. If this means changing the scripturally authorized work and worship of the church, he's willing to do so. Go ahead. Add instrumental music. People like it and even expect it. So let's have it. Let women take a leading role in preaching and conducting the services. After all, this is the trend in the world, and we've got to adjust if we want to keep up. And we need to add recreation and entertainment to draw the young people, social services to entice people with special needs, and so forth. What you realize is there's no stopping place for the religious pragmatist. As he continues his work, we will see church further away from the truth taught in God's word. Instead of pragmatism, we need to demand a, quote, thus saith the Lord for all we do. Read Colossians 3.17. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the program. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can find out what we believe in practice. Well, you can, I guess you can find out what we believe in practice by looking at, the, at your Bible. Uh, we're trying to be a church like you read about in the Bible. But uh, if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we'd especially encourage you to come and worship with us. Uh, find out more about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Talking about that restoration plea tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, would the would would the church have been what God wanted it to be from its inception at the beginning, under the guidance of the inspired apostles? Would it be right, or would we expect it to evolve and change over time? I think most religious people think, "Oh yeah, it's going to change. Things are going to change." But the implication of the idea that you could change the church is that God's plan was not adequate or perfect at the start. And I'm not willing to go there. I think that would be a very presumptuous, dangerous, and even blasphemous concept to have that God couldn't put a plan in place that would have been ideal at the beginning. 
And it's a this is an all or nothing proposition. Either you say we have to go by the Bible pattern for everything, or you say we don't have to go by the Bible pattern for anything. Is what you that you can't have it in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you can change something, you can change everything. And so there are a lot of people who would draw lines. Oh no, you couldn't do that. We've talked about the church that does the fireworks, the church that does the bull riding. There, uh, oh, you know, a vast majority of people in the religious world would say, oh, you can't do that. Well, if you can't do that in worship to God, why can you do other things in worship to God that aren't found in the Scriptures? It's an all-or-nothing proposition. If you say, well, I'm going to do this, and it's not found in the Scriptures, I understand that, but you can't do that, why not? Yeah. And I used to use that illustration about the Lord's Supper. Could we change the elements of the Lord's Supper? Could we have pizza and Coca-Cola? And, you did, and somebody said, oh, that's ridiculous. You can't, wow, that's a stupid argument. No, it's not. Yeah. I actually found one person, though, who said, yeah, that'd be okay with him. So I'd be, yeah, well, be careful he was about things. Cons- <laughs> yeah, he was consistent, right? Yeah. But uh, I mean, there's lots of things in the religious world. There's, there's a big, uh, well, a few years ago, there was a big uh, discussion about women in le- leading roles in the church. Well, you can't you can't do that. Well, why, why not? If you're going to say that you've got to have scriptural authority for that, then you've got to have scriptural authority for everything. Yeah. Same with homosexual clergy, homosexual marriage. Lots of controversy about that. But the people who were doing that were concerned about that were not consistent on other areas. So it's an all-or-nothing proposition. Yeah. Jesus said in the Great Commission when he told his told his apostles, he says, uh, Matthew 28, uh, verse 19, beginning, Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and, Lord, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Notice, he, you, they were to observe all things that he commanded, not just some of the things, not just right. the part that they liked. They were not going to be at liberty. You can change that, though, he said. You, teach them to observe all things I command you. Unless you want to change some things, that would be okay with me. He didn't say that. Teaching them to observe some of the things, most of the things, you know, all the things that he had commanded them. Yeah. Uh, when the church began, Acts 2, verse 42, it says the early Christians continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking bread and prayers. They knew what the apostles' doctrine was, and they continued in it. Was that the right idea, to continue in the apostles' doctrine? Yeah. And wouldn't that be the right idea for us as well? All right. Josh in the chat room said, Jesus said, not my will, but thine, but thine be done. Uh, so uh, I think Josh is telling us there that we should submit to God's will. And Philip in the chat room says, Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus is a son of God, a son of a carpenter, a son of a carpenter. So did he have a plan in mind to follow? All right. Thank you for that, Philip and yeah. Josh. Uh, I was thinking of one more passage along this line uh, in Ephesians chapter three. Verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church is mentioned there as a part of God's eternal purpose. Would it be right? Would the plan for it be correct, perfect, adequate to do what God wanted it to do? Or or did God need fallible mortal men to come along and say, well, here's something we can do better. We can make it a little better. We can change this. It will improve it. 
Did God need that? I, I just think it's presumptuous, incredibly presumptuous to imagine that men could improve upon the, the eternal plan of God. All right. We want to hear your thoughts. You know, when you think about it, it said the eternal purpose of God. And we typically a lot of times think of that maybe eternal, like always in the past, way before creation and all that. But if it's eternal, it's always in the future, too. God had it. It's always been his plan. It's his plan now. And if it's eternal, oh. it's forever in the future, too. So God didn't want us to change it. It's oh, his plan. I, I never even thought about it that way, Monty, because... Because you know it's not that he had an eternal purpose and an per- eternal plan in mind, and and it was accomplished on the day of Pentecost. But after he didn't he didn't know what was going to happen after that. It was just it was wide open. In other words, it, the plan came at the day of Pentecost, Acts two, and after that, God didn't know what was going to happen. But it was His plan, and it was and eternal. it's eternal forever. Yeah. Uh, we we don't have authority or right to it, change it. Never thought about it that way. Thank you. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. Uh, it's clear from the scriptures that God has always been a God who expects people to follow His instructions, follow His pattern and His plan. And we're seeing no difference in that for uh, the church today. We, we asked the question, what does the Bible say about God's expectations that we follow his plan for the church? Well, uh, the idea was that th- this plan would continue to be passed down through the generations. Second Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul told Timothy. So Paul was Timothy's teacher, and he told Timothy, the things that thou hast learned of me, or has heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so there was this idea of just a, a continual rolling on of these of this message from the inspired apostles. Uh, they were to keep passing it on. And it's been passed on all the way to us. And there's a clear pattern in that. Second Timothy 1, verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And so there was a pattern. There's always been a pattern. It's just supposed to be keep rolling it forward, keep telling people about this plan that God had. All right. You know that word faithful that he said, transmit it to faithful men who would teach it. Well, he said faithful has to do with being faithful to that pattern. You know, if, if you've handed me something and expect me to be faithful to what you've taught me, I have to stay within what I've been taught. If I get outside that, then I haven't been faithful. So I think that's a key word in that. Yeah, that's right. exactly right. Couple more. Uh, again, in answer to that question, does the Bible say that God has an expectation that we will follow His plan? Here's a really strong statement: First Corinthians four verse six. These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us ye might learn not to go beyond the things which are written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against the other. No, learn not to go beyond the things which are written. Well, I'm telling you, that's that's a phrase that needs to be uh, proclaimed in this modern religious world, and people need to understand that God, that's God's expectation. Don't go beyond what's written. Well, it echoes what Second John verses nine and through eleven say: Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. You, we've got to abide in the doctrine of Christ. What he's taught, we have to abide in it. We can't say, oh, that's not what I want to do now. I'm going to go away from the doctrine in that area. You're not abiding in the doctrine of Christ. You're uh, condemned. 
Yeah, exactly right. All right. And it said not abiding in the doctrine of Christ is evil deeds. Yeah, yeah. and you and you don't have God. Yeah, but it seems to me like it'd be a good idea to do this. Well, well it's God what, never asked me what it's I thought what, about it's what things people, like that. It's what people today, today demand the church to be involved in. It's what people today want in their worship. Well, that's not the that's not the standard, is it? That's exactly right. All right. Let's grab our last break, and when we come back, let's talk about, okay, all that we said. Now, what about the restoration? Why was the restoration movement or a restoration plea, why was that needed? Why was it needed? 877-381-4567. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 34% of Americans say they are sinners and are working on being less sinful. 28% say they are sinners and rely on Jesus to overcome their sin. One in ten say sin doesn't exist or that they are not sinners, 8%, while a larger 15% prefer not to say if they are sinners at all. Only one in 25% are fine with being sinners. That information is via the Baptist Press. The Word of God says in Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight as we talk about the restoration plea, and uh, we're considering, is it needed? Well, the reason that the restoration is needed is because men didn't follow God's pattern. We we talked about the fact he had a pattern, he had a plan, it was perfect from its inception. But men didn't follow it. And And that departure from the faith actually began pretty early on. In Acts chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul was giving his final remarks to the elders of the church at Ephesus, he said, verse 29 of Acts 20, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And so Paul knew that even, I mean, he was aware that even among those immediate men who were serving as the overseers of the church at Ephesus, that some of them would not be true to the pattern, right. wouldn't follow the plan. And, and of course, that happened, and a, and, a, and a great apostasy began, which sort of culminated. I mean, what happened was churches began to organize beyond the local level, 
and and there began there began to be a hierarchy of church organization that you don't read about anywhere in this in the scripture. The the only organized unit of the Lord's church is a local congregation, and and with elders who oversee the flock which is among them. First Peter five verse right. five. That's the only organization that exists in the Lord's church. The individual local congregations organized independently and autonomously. But that that pattern began to be violated pretty quick, and 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 men began to organize a hierarchy that culminated uh, somewhere around 600 when the first pope was named in Rome, the bishop of Rome, the 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 pope, the overseer of the worldwide church. Um, of course, you can't read about that in the Bible. There's just nothing about that in the Bible. But that's just what th- what happened, and it and and of course the Catholic Church just continued to change, innovate, depart further and further from God's uh, initial plan for the church. And so that's why some men came along in the 15 and 1600s and said, we got to reform this. we got to reform this Catholic church. And so a Reformation movement was initiated by men like Luther and Calvin and Wesley, others. It wasn't good enough because there were still so many things that were not true to the New Testament pattern. That's why men like Thomas and Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone and others came along and said, no, Reformation is not enough. We need a full restoration of the New Testament church. And they began it, and they and, and they tried to get back to it. They weren't perfect. I, by the way, they weren't perfect in that at all. In fact, th- th- there were some things in particular that we would disagree with Alexander Campbell about pretty adamantly. Yeah. We're not saying that they were perfect in their in their endeavor but they were, they had a right concept. And that's all that we're, that's, we have no allegiance. I, I don't know if we can say that any plainer, but we have no allegiance to the Campbells. But we do think they had an idea that was a right idea, and we're trying to pursue that idea. They were encouraging uh, a scriptural concept, is what we believe. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to follow the scripture in that, in that concept. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of folks that would call themselves Protestant today, would look at that. You mentioned the Pope there being established in 600-ish A.D. Yeah. They'd look at that and say, oh, that's wrong. We shouldn't. There's no such thing as a Pope. But then they've got their bishop or their archbishop or whatever of their denomination, their yeah. president of their denomination. Where do you have authority for that? Again, see, it's an all-or-nothing thing. Yeah. Uh, and so we've got to go back to restore the New Testament plan, plan and pattern, or else we have to let everything and anything go. Um, I've got a quote here. Uh, just this erroneous thought has been so evident throughout history that that men can change things when it comes to the church. This is from Edward Hiscox, uh, writing in the Standard Manual for Baptist Churches. Okay. And so this this would be a lot more recent, a lot more recent than the first pope in 600. And so this guy wrote in 1890. He said, it is most likely that in the apostolic age, when there was but one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and no differing denominations existed, the baptism of a convert by that very act constituted him a member of the church and at once endowed him with all the rights and privileges of full membership. In that sense, baptism was the door into the church. Get this. Now it is different. Yeah. Well, in other words, he says how it was in the apostolic age. He even calls it the apostolic age. And he and he identifies 
what baptism was for and what it did in right. the apostolic. But he says now it is different. Why, why is it different now? How did it get different? Yeah. It only got different because men imagined that they could come along and change something that God had put in place. And it's no different uh, than what a lot of folks are doing in the religious world saying, yeah, that's what the scriptures say, but that's it's different now. Things are changed. We're not going to follow that anymore. Uh, and so he certainly is not alone in that concept. Yeah. Money. You know, if you think about it from the dawn of creation practically, we see that Cain wanted to change the worship of God. God had obviously given them the what he wanted done in worship, and Abel was following that, and Cain didn't want to do it, and we can see that that wasn't acceptable. Then we see further on, pretty early in the Mosaic Age, Nadab and Abihu wanted to change the worship of God with this profane fire that they offered. That wasn't acceptable. They were punished for it. And then like we talked about, Paul said there's going to be people that's going to want to come and change what I've taught you that's not acceptable and don't associate with them. He talks about withdrawing from those, marking those people and not even having anything to do with them. So that's not this change from God's plan has never been acceptable in any dispensation of time that's identified in the Bible. That's a great way to put it. I think that's right. All right. Philip in the chat room says God's word is a seed, the parable of the sower. Seed produces after its kind. Plant the seed of the Bible, and you get disciples and a church like that in the first century. That's a good point, Philip. I think that, that's exactly right. I think that, that seed The seed is going to reproduce, uh, and it doesn't produce Baptist in one circumstance and, and Lutherans in another circumstance and Presbyterians. It produces Christians. And if, if we follow that same pattern, we'll all be Christians and we'll all believe and practice the same thing, which is about in John chapter 17. Yeah, exactly right. All right. Um, again, this departure from the faith was was anticipated. God knew that men would not be faithful to the plan and pattern that he set forth. Paul prophesied in 1 Timothy 4, beginning verse 1, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So, uh, again, Paul was aware. He was one of the inspired apostles, but he was aware. People are not going to be content to follow the plan and pattern. And the, the, this is talking about certain patterns and certain instructions here, but notice it says they're departing from the faith. Well, they still believed in Jesus. They still believed he was the Son of God, but they're not following the pattern. And so he says it was leaving the faith. They departed the faith. Yeah. And so it's not okay. We can change certain things about what we teach and practice, but we can still believe in Jesus and everything's going to be fine. No, it's not. You've departed from the faith when you don't follow the pattern. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got one last question to cover that we sent out to our update list today. I don't think I mentioned. If you're not on our update list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, add me to the list. The last question we asked, Jacob, was what's our responsibility today in regards to restoring the New Testament church? Now, we said that this restoration movement was very active in America in the mid-1800s. So we're talking about we're we're you know heading on toward 200 years since that happened. It's not it's not fully 200 years, but some of this was taking place 200 years ago in Mid America. Well, they did it, got the job done, and so it's over. We don't have to think about it anymore. It's it's a finished project. And actually, no, the fact our responsibility is is in our generation 
like theirs was in theirs and like every generation, our responsibility is go to the word, adhere to the plan and and actually point out when people deviate from it. Peter said in Second Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 1, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So this same need for diligence, watchfulness, Staying on course, following the pattern, it's needed in our day just as much as it was ever. We got to make sure we're following the pattern. All right, uh, and uh, if we don't, uh, then the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Don't you imagine that's exactly what is happening in the religious world today? People world say these guys can't even agree on anything. There are there's thousands and, of different. And, and you mentioned the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Jesus wanted everybody to, to be united. And he said it would it would imp, it would uh, make possible. Uh, he says, neither prayer for these apostles alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may all may be one, as thou Father art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Notice that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus implied that the unity of his followers would help spread the truth about his. Messiahship or say or the the salvation that he that he would bring in, and the implication there on the other hand would be if if my followers are not united, it's going to hinder that cause. And how can our how can his followers be united unless they're all agreeing to the same doctrine, to the same teachings, to the same pattern? If you say if you get to decide what you want to do, and I get to decide what I want to do, and we just sort of make it up as we go, we'll never be united until we all say okay. This is the rule book. I'm going to follow it, and I'm going to submit to it. And if you'll submit to the rule book, not to my thinking, but to the rule book, then we'll be united. And that's the only way it can happen. And that was the idea of the restoration. You know, it's always been important to, to, to seek the ways of God. And Jeremiah said it so powerfully. Jeremiah 6, this is a good verse to end on. Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Seek the old paths. Demand, ask for the old paths. That's what we've got to do. All right. Good discussion tonight. Uh, Philip in the chat room appreciates the study. That, that was his question. Philip, thanks for yeah, suggesting that. He said it's much needed in the world today. We believe yeah. it is, Philip. And, uh, Monty, final thoughts from you. Well, it's a good study, and I think it emphasizes a need that just because some people at one point made this effort to restore the church doesn't mean the work is over because if Paul said that people are going to fall away, they're not going to stop falling away just because somebody done some good work. We've still got to be vigilant and, and maintain that effort to be exactly what the Bible points out for us to be. All right, thanks, right. thanks for being here, Monty. Good to have you Thank back you. in that seat there tonight. Dad, thanks for a good discussion. Thanks, Jacob. And uh, a very needed thing. And if you, people have questions about what we've said, we'd encourage them to contact us. We'd love to talk with them over email, over the phone. Exactly Get in touch right. with us. Exactly right. All right. Thanks for being here tonight. Hope you benefit from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hatcher Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.